0: Father, help us to look deep into Peter's heart, and and as he tries to communicate to the church uh, scattered um, through persecution, Father, would you speak to us? Would you open our hearts that we would be willing to obey what you tell us, and that we would set aside Christ as Lord in all we do. Amen. Amen man, Good morning. Welcome to St. Paul's. Uh, Let me just add my welcome to Barry's. My name's Chris. I'm one of the pastors here. If you're new or visiting, especially warm welcome to you. We'd love to get to know you. Do come and find us and say hi afterwards. Um, Let me begin with a question. How many of you have ever been told that the Christian faith is simply for weak people? quite a few of us. It's just a crutch for those who have no strength. It's just something that carries those who can't think for themselves. Those kind of things. So Christianity, following Jesus, however you say it, is just for weak people. And I want to say in one sense, it absolutely is, in that I am a weak man. I am a weak person in more ways than one. If you've ever been to the gym with me, you will know that to be true. Um, but many of, who, many of who find themselves at the end of their tether... Uh, in life, for whatever reason, have found hope and rest in Jesus Christ. Many who would absolutely say, I have nothing left to give, have found their hope in Christ. You know, all of us are in desperate need of the grace of God. You know, I wish I was more stronger, more capable, more able to do many things, but I'm not. I wish I was less prone to sinning or making mistakes, but I'm not. I wish I could save myself, but I can't. So in one sense, the Christian faith is for weak people like me. You know, Jesus died in weakness, we're told. Naked, beaten, on a cross for us. No show of strength. You know, we know he could have called down legions of angels to save himself. And he chose to die on a cross for us. So in one sense, when people say to you, Christianity, following Jesus, is for weak people, I kind of nod my head in agreement. However, however, to follow Jesus takes tremendous courage, often. Tremendous courage. It is not for those who are looking for an easy ride in life, and I'm not actually convinced there is such a thing as an easy ride in life. There is a cost to following Jesus, and if we make him Lord, as Peter has told us to do in chapter 3, um, there's not room for anything or anyone else. And that clash can be really serious. Um, David, earlier as he prayed, prayed for Pastor uh, Nadakani. And hopefully there'll be a picture of him on the screen. I want to leave this picture up for the rest of the talk. Um, uh, Pastor Nadakani faces the death penalty in Iran for refusing to uh, turn away from his Christian faith um, and embrace Islam. Um, he has an Islamic heritage, um, and there are all kinds of convoluted charges that he faces, most of which apparently are un- seem to be totally unjust. But let me read to you what he said. When asked to repent and to recant his faith by the judges, Yusuf Nakadani said this Repent means to return. What should I return to? To the blasphemy that I had before my faith in Christ? The judges replied, to the religion of your ancestors, Islam, to which he replied, I cannot. Now, if that's not courage, in the face of tremendous opposition, unjust, wrong opposition, I don't know what it is. And and Pastor Narakani represents many millions of Christians around the world today, including some in our own country, um, who face... um, for, for whom to be a Christian carries an immense cost, and who face persecution and, and trial on a daily basis. These people are courageous people. And also, if we take the teachings of Jesus seriously, if we really live out the life, you know, say that Jesus put on the Sermon on the Mount, it takes incredible courage to do it. It means that when we see injustice, or we see wickedness, we can't stand by and do nothing. Um, you know, I, I know of people who set others free from captivity, There's an organisation who work in Thailand who look to set people free who are trapped in the sex industry. And they rescue women, girls, from brothels. They kind of raid it and and get them out and take them to a safe house. That takes tremendous courage. You know, it takes courage to move into the inner city estates that are crime hotspots to make a difference. We've seen that all over Manchester, in parts of London, in Sheffield and Bristol and other places through organisations like Eden. It takes tremendous courage. It takes courage to stand up for someone at school who's being bullied. To identify with those who are being oppressed. That takes courage. It takes courage to live differently at university. When, when your hallmates, your course mates, your other friends, their kind of aim in life is, is more than their aim in the evening, is to go out and get drunk and, and sleep around and, and to live in a life that you don't want to live. It takes courage not to join in, doesn't it? It takes courage in the workplace To stand up for um, what is right takes courage. So, whilst I agree that to follow, that that being a Christian in one sense is for weak people, because I think all of us are weak, all of us need the grace of God, don't we? But it also takes tremendous courage, and that's what Peter's um, addressing, I think, in this passage. He's he recognises how much courage it takes to follow Jesus in a in a a hostile world, in a place um, where following Jesus is difficult. You know, refusing to name anyone Lord but Jesus meant refusing to name Caesar as Lord. And that crime carried the death penalty for many in the Roman Empire. You know, there's big themes that Peter addresses, the theme of suffering because we follow Jesus. That's a big theme in his letter. Um, In chapter 1, verses 6 to 7, Peter says this, So be truly glad there is wonderful joy ahead, even though it is necessary for you to endure many trials for a while. That's in verse 6. These trials are only to test your faith, to show that it is strong and pure. Peter says trials are to come if you follow Christ. It's not a guarantee of an easy life. It never was and it never will be. You know, and this theme runs through his letter and through this passage. So let's turn to uh, 1 Peter chapter 4. The majority of this chapter, um, verses 1 to 6 and verses 12 to 19, is kind of like a sandwich, this chapter. It's got two, two slices of bread that are, uh, that where Peter absolutely focuses in on the issue of suffering for your faith. And the first thing Peter says is, be prepared for suffering. Peter is addressing the question in, in, um, in chapter 3, verse 13. Uh, he kind of repeats back to them a question that they've asked. He says this, um, now, who will want to harm you if you are eager to do good? And you could perhaps retranslate this as, well, if we follow Christ and are doing good, why are we being persecuted? Surely, if we 're living good lives that are right and wholesome and the way God wants us to live, why on earth would people oppose us? and that 's the question Peter 's addressing. Um, you know, the Christians here are being slandered, their old friends, their old way of life, people who were, they used to work with and live with, who they 've now no longer hang out with because of the lifestyle, are slandering them. Maybe that 's a public thing. Maybe that 's something that 's costing them jobs or money or whatever it might be. Um, They've abandoned this wild lifestyle and idolatry, and and, everything was was kind of connected in that society. It wasn't that you stopped going to a particular temple to worship, and and you could just join another group of friends. Your Your whole community was bound up in where you worshipped, where you worked. It wasn't like our community today. So to kind of turn your back on a lifestyle means turning your back on people, and these people clearly didn't like it. You know, there's a consistent refusal to join in with this kind of hedonistic culture that that Peter gives us kind of in graphic detail. You know, refusal to join in with that means that they're excluded from parts of society. They're excluded, they're slandered. Maybe some of us know what that's like. Maybe some of us have had a first-hand experience of that. Maybe even for our faith in Christ. And so jumping to the end of the passage, verses 12 to 14, take it further. And it sort of says, not only should we be prepared for suffering, but we should be glad when we face it. Now, if I'm really honest, I really struggle with this. How can you be glad when suffering comes? Does anyone else find that? You read these passages in the scriptures and go, hang on. I just, maybe, many of us will come to the conclusion, I'm just not as hardcore as these guys were. I'm just not as full on for my faith as they are. And maybe that's true. I'm sure that's true for me. But, you know, we read in Acts chapter 5, this is Peter we're going to read about, and, and they'd been arrested and forbidden to speak of Jesus, which they publicly refused to obey. That's quite brave in a Roman court, and Jewish court, uh, sorry, the Sanhedrin as it was then. But this is what it says in Acts chapter 5. The apostles went out of the high council, the Sanhedrin, overjoyed because they had been given the honour of being dishonoured on account of the name, on account of Jesus. Every day they were in the temple and homes, teaching and preaching Christ Jesus, not letting up for a minute. That's courage that I feel I lack. How many of us find that hard to kind of reconcile? James says this, we know this passage maybe well. Consider it a sheer gift or pure joy, brothers and sisters. When tests and challenges come at you from all sides, you know that under pressure... Your faith life is forced into the open and shows its true colours. Pure joy when you face trials. And and I've been thinking about this quite a bit over the last few days, simply because I know that I have to talk to you about it, and I wanted to have in my mind what I've felt maybe the Lord might be saying. And I think it's this is that as Christians we're called to embrace hardship differently because we have a different perspective. Friends, this life isn't it. This life isn't it. In verse 7, Peter says, and it's on to the next section, but Peter says this, the end of the world is coming soon. And what Peter's saying there is the new age has started. Jesus came, died on the cross, and when he rose again from the dead, the kingdom came. It started to come. It's not here in its fullness, all of us know that. We, we pray for healing and some get healed and some don't. We pray for folk to come to faith and some do and some don't. You know, We see what some people term as the now and the not yet of the kingdom of God. The kingdom has come. Jesus said the kingdom of God is at hand. But it hasn't come in its fullness, and it won't until Christ returns. But this life isn't it. This isn't all we face. Paul again says that our, our momentary troubles, our light and momentary troubles, and if you read the life of Paul, you know that he didn't have anything like light and momentary troubles. But he had a different perspective on those troubles. And that's what I think. That's what I think that Peter wants the Christians he's writing to, And I think what we need to today to learn is that these troubles that come, we have a different perspective. You know, as we are pressed and squeezed, and as we face trials of many kinds, as we have to sum up all the courage we have to face the day, to face the struggles, our character grows and comes through. And God is so much more interested in our character, in who we are, than what we do. You know, we get perspective on life when we go through hard times. We're able to communicate with others in the same situation when we go through trials. I believe that, and you see it around the world, where the church is persecuted, where it's it's chased, where it's harassed, where it's excluded, where it's slandered, it grows even faster. How on earth does that happen other than the grace and the glory of God? So friends, when you... When you and I face trials of many kinds that Peter seems to hint will come, we need to remember that this life isn't it. That we have a different perspective on what's to come. That it develops our character. And actually, do you know how we embrace struggle and hardship? Speaks massively to a world that's watching. The world that's watching does not want to see a trite display of fake happiness. Let's believe that. The world is watching for us to show honesty, realism, courage, and perseverance. Because we know that God is with us. And that this life isn't it. Sorry, that was a bit of an aside. But let me come back to the passage. I think it's important to get hold of that. You know, I think it's important that when we read these passages about persecution, because lots of the early letters are written to churches that are facing it, we need to have some grasp of that. Jesus himself... Uh, faced trouble. So going back to um, chapter 4, verse 7 to 11, the kind of this is the meat of the sandwich, if you like. You've got, um, kind of, be prepared for suffering at the start, don't be surprised when it comes at the end, and in the middle, how do we live in a world where, where we're persecuted, where we're marginalised, where we're, we're, we, we're not the, kind of the head of, of, of the beast, as you say? How do we live in a world that's hostile? What does it mean to set aside Jesus as Lord, which Peter has told um, the churches earlier? And in verse 7, Peter simply starts with this. The end of the world is coming. The new age has begun. Therefore, be earnest and disciplined in your prayers. I think Peter's saying, don't panic. Pray. Don't panic. Pray. Um, in Philippians, Paul says, you know, tell God what you need and thank him for what he's done. You know, we can be so hung up on how do I pray? Well, just tell God what you need. Thank him for what he's done. The most powerful prayers are the ones that we, that we pray when we're weak. Um, Just pray, don't panic. Verse 8, most important of all, continue to show love, deep love for one another. For love covers a multitude of sins. You know, we, we mustn't ever lose sight of love. Jesus said, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you. We need to learn to create such a loving environment that doesn't cover up wrong, but brings transformation to situations that wouldn't be transformed without love. You know, we we abandon the old ways of dealing with one another. You know, we're we're forgiven people, so we're to forgive. We're not to take revenge, we're not to backbite. We're to embrace this way of love that accepts people just as they are. Just as they are. But loves them too much to say, "That's that's the only place you can be. Do you see what I mean? We love, we accept anyone just to come to Jesus as they are. Jesus didn't seem bothered who came to him at all. But he certainly wanted to see them become who they could be in God. And I think that's what we should have towards others. Hospitality is one example of that. You know, we show love to others by being hospitable. And in a world where many of us don't know the names of our neighbours, isn't it amazing just that we would show something of of God's love through our hospitality, through inviting our friends and neighbours around, through uh, our work colleagues, you know, even being generous to those at work who are just awkward and difficult and we really wish they would leave the office. Wouldn't it be great to take them out for a coffee? Wouldn't it be great to take them out for a beer? You know, be generous with yourself and your gifts. At um, the end of um, this little passage in verse 11, Peter, uh, Peter talks about, you know, if, if, if you've been given, if God's given us all gifts, and if you've got the gift to speak, well, speak as if God's speaking through you. If you've got the gift of help, then help as if God's doing it. I think what Peter's saying is, be generous with what God's given you. That's how we love one another. That's how we create an atmosphere of love is that we're hospitable, we're generous. And that's what shines out. And finally, the last verse, verse 19, sums up, uh, I think, this whole passage, actually. And it says this, So if you are suffering according to God's will, keep on doing what is right, and trust yourself to the God who made you, for he will never fail you. I want to read what Tom Wright says about this passage. Doing good does not just mean rule-keeping, keeping keeping your nose clean and not getting into trouble. It's much more positive than that. It means bringing fresh goodness, fresh love, fresh kindness, fresh wisdom into the community, into the family, to the people we meet on the street. What we're saying to God is this, even though I'm facing suffering and trials of many kinds, I will live this way, I'll pray and not panic, I'll, cover, I'll love everyone deeply. I'll show hospitality and I'll be generous with everything that God's given me. Even though I'm facing suffering and trials of many kinds, I'll keep doing that stuff and I'll live this way regardless because I want to bring you glory. What a phenomenal challenge and a wonderful hope that Peter sets before us. We have a different perspective on suffering because this life, isn't it, there's more to come the kingdom is coming and one day will come in its fullness so to sum up our priority is to set christ as set apart christ as lord we follow him with every part of our lives that we live and breathe and act as though jesus were living my life today someone said that to me once and I found that profoundly challenging and and he went on to say well if you're not sure how jesus might do that well just Read the Gospels. Just get into the Gospel stories. Understand what Jesus did do when he was on earth and try and put that into practice simply you know, with those around us. You know, we're to be loving and generous, as, as uh, Peter says. We're to be courageous as followers of Christ, willing to face trials and difficulties that come to us, and we have a different attitude in this. I believe that we can find joy in the midst of struggle. I believe we can find joy in the midst of struggle. Along with that, are we, are we willing and up for being known publicly as followers of Christ? You know, these guys were, it, it was all they were. They were baptised, their public declaration of faith. Are we willing to be known publicly as followers of Christ? You know, so many others are looking for hope. I'm so grateful for the people uh, who helped me come to faith. And they were willing to be courageous and bold and public about their faith in Jesus. Because I might never have heard otherwise. There are so many around us looking for hope. So many around us facing trials of many kinds. And hoping there's a way of being able to face them. And you know, we have that living hope, don't we? We have that living hope. And if we live that out, others will be drawn to Jesus. Are we obvious to people like that? Are we known as loving, caring, respectful and generous people? Peter prays that we would be. And I pray that we would be too. And I think finally for those of us in the midst of trials now, <clears throat> who are struggling and not sure whether we can keep going, I think I want to echo Peter's words. Keep doing what's right. Trust yourself to God who made you, because he will never fail you. With those words, I invite to stand and we'll pray.